Hi everyone, I'm Glenn Gao, CEO of Crimson Marketing. Welcome to Moneyball for Marketing, where we talk about the incredible changes happening in marketing organizations around big data and marketing technology. We feature marketing technology insights from the top marketers in the world. The reference to Moneyball is from the story of how the Oakland A's baseball team were able to win and win and win because they figured out how to use data and technology to their advantage. If you'd like to learn about how to use big data and marketing technology and marketing to help you win, visit us at crimsonmarketing.com or email us at info at crimsonmarketing.com. And now on to our podcast. Today, I am very pleased to welcome Jeff Roars. Jeff is the Chief Marketing Officer of Yext. Jeff is also an author, an author of a, a book called Audience, Marketing in the Age of Subscribers, Fans, and Followers. So how does Yext describe themselves? Yext is the global digital location management leader helping over 500,000 business locations reach mobile consumers across a network of 100 or more application, map, directory, search engine, and social media partners. So Jeff, it is a real pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. So you and I were talking about the power of location and what's fundamental to mobile and location in your business. So tell us a little bit about your perspective on that. Sure. So if you think about today and what is driving the majority of change for consumers and for marketers, it is the smartphone. It is mobility uh, in all its forms. I think sometimes we tend to think of mobile just being the device, but mobile is the fact that people are on the move and they now want and are increasingly going to demand more context when and where they are out in the real world. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a form of personalization, isn't it? Where uh, you kind of know something about me because I have something that I'm moving around. Well, and, and in fact, the way I kind of phrase it is that offline is the new online. All of the technology that we've been deploying to provide personalized services over the last 20 years of website development, we are now beginning to think about how to deploy those in the real world because consumers have these supercomputers in their pockets called smartphones. Right. Connectivity like never before. And so the next really decade is going to be about that. It's connecting people in the real world to contextually relevant information, sales, uh, promotions, uh, directions, reviews, et cetera. And we've just been nibbling around the edges of that with things like Yelp, you know, providing you know reviews so that you know what restaurant to go to. Obviously, Uber delivering you door to door with location services. Google Maps giving you the right route on uh, you know for bike, train, plane, uh, automobile, and really what Yex does does is it provides um, a platform for companies to manage their location information accurately uh, across the full breadth. So, um, give, give us an example of um, a consumer and how they're impacted by the technology related to knowing where I am. Sure. So <clears throat> let's look at an expanding uh, business franchise organization like the School of Rock. Um, even if you're not familiar with School of Rock, you're probably familiar with the movie 
from which I think the, the brand kind of grew. This is a, a franchise organization that teaches kids how to uh, play in a band, play electric instruments, drums, etc. Okay. Um, it also inspired, by the way, the new Broadway play uh, that just opened uh, called The School of Rock. Well, they've got about 170 locations worldwide, and they're growing, so they're expanding. It's completely a franchise model. So you've got, you've got that challenge of, of herding cats, if you will, that every, every organization that deals with franchises does because every franchisee is an entrepreneur in their own right. And they've right. got a passion for their location, their community, and they want to do marketing right, but they also want to have some control. And so School of Rock uses our platform to provide that managerial opportunity for the location information that each of these franchisees publishes out to those 100 apps, uh, social networks, search engines, directories, etc. So that all the basics are going to be there, right? Name, address, phone number, store hours. But then there's some supplemental information, photos, social, uh, social media engagement, other types of um, information about the staff, um, you know, promotions that are happening at the local level that can then get integrated into their listings. And again, it empowers the franchisee so that the brand knows the brand is in control, it is managed at scale, it is accurate across desktop and mobile devices, and the franchisee feels like I can actually connect with people in my location in the way that I want to. Um, and so it's a very collaborative relationship, but again, one in which the 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 overall brand marketer at the corporate level has a high degree of comfort that everything's being done right. Well, let me see if I understand that. So if I'm looking up something related to the School of Rock, and I'm a, especially if I'm on a mobile device, then I think what you said is all that localized information about that, that particular franchisees that's closest to me, that's what's going to show up in my search. Correct. Correct. So, and there are a few different ways that can happen, right? At the desktop, you might run that search, or you might run that search in a search engine on your phone, or you might run that search in Apple Maps or Google Maps, or you might run that search in an actual app, um, you know, like around me, where you're trying to find things around you in a physical location. What's happening with the mobile devices is a fragmentation of search activity, such that a lot of search activity isn't always requiring you to type in or you know via Surrey or other methods use your voice to search sometimes it's just kind of in the moment there's a fluidity to it mm -hmm. um, and again it's not dependent on that search box that we know and love uh, from from Google and Bing and others while that's still a very big and important part of the the puzzle what this era of mobility has ushered in is that fragmentation we have to address. And that's only going to accelerate because more and more players are coming into the market looking to provide that contextual layer, that additional information in the moment. Um, and so we see this, this trend really kind of accelerating. Now, once you get location right, now you can begin to think about, okay, how do I create moments of engagement when people are here and then create ways to engage them afterwards. And that's where some of the location technologies, I think, over the next 10 years are going to get really interesting. All right, good. Tell us, tell us about what that, that little future might look like. Well, one of them that people might be familiar with in this, you know, at this particular moment are beacons. Um, right. The beacon, beacon protocol, the iBeacon protocol, has been around for a number of years from Apple. But it's really only begun to gain some traction in the last couple of years as consumers 
got over some of the initial fears of that, I, I, some of which were overblown about privacy concerns and, and other things. And marketers also began to understand that beacons and, and the use of this kind of proximity technology requires the same kind of permission and opt-out that we require in the best of breed kind of solutions and channels online. So to boil it down, all a beacon is, is just a dumb little device that sends out a Bluetooth signal. And so it's not connected to the internet. Um, it requires other apps to be listening for it to then right. take some sort of action. Right. So in our case, we have a, we launched this fall a product called Zone and we built a third party app network that listens for our beacons that are installed in stores. And then it does, and it creates two kinds of opportunities for both consumer and the store. One of them is an in-store tip. So if you think about one of the challenges that marketers have in their physical locations, let's think of a retailer. A lot of consumers are coming in the door, heads down in their mobile phone, right? and they're very self-directed. They don't want to interact with the store staff, um, you know, in a big store, that can be a problem. And so what the tip allows is if the person, you know, has Bluetooth on, location enabled, and one of our partner apps downloaded, it presents them with a tip that is specific to that location that might be something like an offer. It could be about the sale today. It could offer up the Wi-Fi code. It could encourage them to download the app. So it's an audience building opportunity, um, direct audience building opportunity for that brand. There's a myriad of things you can do, but it creates a moment of engagement in the store. And there are a number of different types of beacon uh, technologies and players out there that create different ways of doing that. We just happen to do it through this kind of third-party network. So uh, part of it is the store that's cooperating and, and participating um, might get me to engage or actually show up more to the store because number one, they've made it easy for me to get the Wi-Fi, but also I get more offers when I'm walking around that store than I do anywhere else. Well, let's let me split that because you're actually uh, uh, you're touching upon I think the second part of it, and then I, fir I first want to clarify what we're focused on with Zone, and, and for your listeners, uh, it's spelled X O N E. That's one of the things I always forget. <laughs> we have that nuance, and it doesn't always play well on podcasts or radio. Sure, sure. Um, but when you think about it in store, we're not trying to inundate the person with messaging. <clears throat> a lot of studies are now showing that push messaging is beginning to turn off users, um, especially when, when done uh, too many times by apps that don't have contextual relevance. So the tip screen pops up if they've got that app open and then only if they're clicking to see the deeper information. So okay. it's hitting them with multiple messages. Here is a screen that can contain multiple calls to action, but the brand marketer controls that at a location basis so that they can direct traffic, think of it that way, in the ways that they want or create moments to engage, join our email list, download our app, those types of things. Now, the second piece that you were touching on is, is where it gets really interesting because once the person, the mobile device comes into a zone, the IDFN, which is an ID for every smartphone or mobile device that is meant for advertising purposes, it drops into what we call an audience, a zone audience. And as that zone audience builds up over time, it now becomes an audience that you can re-engage through any number of our advertising network partners, Facebook, Twitter, 
uh, double clicks coming on down the line, Yahoo, Instagram, others. Now, it, as you think about it, there's really no greater indication of interest in a retail brand or a food brand or something else than me being actually in your physical location. Right. I'm either there to purchase or maybe I don't purchase but I've shown interest and potential loyalty. That's right. So now, if I can re-engage you through advertising after that visit, I can increase your propensity to return to the store or I can create a multi-channel relationship and direct you to our online store for purchase or I can thank you for a purchase or there are any number of ways I can re-engage with you now. And this uh, zone has just been out a few months. We're really in kind of our pilot phase with a number of larger brands and we're already seeing kind of double-digit double uptakes in terms of return visitation, in terms of response. And um, this gets very interesting because, again, this is the contextual advertising in the real world where we're taking real-world action and behavior. We're not only trying to activate things in the moment that are going to be meaningful both to consumer and to brand, but then create opportunities downstream that further make that advertising and that engagement relevant to you uh, so that, you know, again, we kind of eliminate the days which we are living in right now of opening up your mobile app on the street in New York and getting an ad for, uh, you know, an app uh, game, uh, you know, or something right. really right. irrelevant to the physical space that you're in. Right. Well, I think it's fascinating that you, 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 make, you make a point that if I am in a particular store and you know I'm in that store and I'm because I'm sharing that information with you I'm willing to share that information with you that is right then and there you you have you have something about me at a level of I'm, I'm at a level of engagement that most consumers are not right I, I am I am there to accomplish something and it's most likely to buy something and I think you said to me earlier 93% uh, of all sales are still in actual stores even though uh, more and more of us are spending our time online. The vast, vast majority is in the store. So if this is a, this is a way to communicate with a buyer in the at a, at a place where they're likely to buy, and it's a way to keep communicating with them afterward. Did I read that right? Absolutely, um, and, and you're you're absolutely right. It's a little known kind of stat for those who are so heads down in digital marketing. But you're right. Ninety three percent of overall sales in the U S. still happen in a physical location. And so we, we need to take all this expertise that we've been learning online and apply it contextually you know, into the real world. And this is a step towards that. Um, I think you will see a high degree of innovation. Um, you know, certainly we hope to be pushing it. You'll see a lot of others do it um, around this. Um, and again, it's got to be respectful of permission. I am, my roots are very much in permission marketing. Yeah. Uh, my book, Audience, is all about building permission-based uh, digital direct audiences. Um, the consumer has to be in control. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, in the real world, because of, you know, all of the concerns at a national level about privacy and security and what is the government doing and everything else, it's created a lot of uh, churn and friction around consumers being served in the real world in ways where technology you know, maps interests to location. And that's why consumers have to be very consumer friendly and store friendly as they move forward with these initiatives. Because as the consumers learn the value, as we've seen with the rapid and widespread adoption over the last decade of Facebook, 
as they see the value exchange, they're willing to share that information and that data, but it requires respect from the marketer and, you know, kind of a cautious approach. If you just put up that, you know, oh, we're, you know, we're tracking you with beacons and all this kind of stuff, people necessarily freak out because they go to the worst case scenario. And so instead, you have to immediately thinking about value opt in on the front end, opt out on the back end. How do I serve this person in a great way? Um, It can't be something where you force feed people um, things through their phone or else they are going to absolutely revolt. And it seems to me it's an opportunity for brands to think about at the application level how they can connect with consumers better because essentially what you're doing is you're saying to a consumer or a consumer is saying to a brand, I like you, Brand X. I'm willing to give you information about me, but I'm not willing to give everybody information about me. Right. Right? Um, I, I, I like the way we interact, so I'm going to share that with you, whereas these other stores or these other locations or these other brands, I, I, I'm not comfortable giving you in my information. So I can, I can actually uh, see the way brands, by treating customers better and giving them a better experience – are going to get richer information about consumers. You're, you're absolutely right. And what's interesting about how you phrase that is that's the exact way we were pitching and talking about email over you know, 15 years ago. Email, you know, if you go back and you read Permission Marketing from Seth Godin. Sure, I remember. You know, that, the relevance of that book is, is that it now, Permission Marketing has permeated everything. It used to be that like when social media first started coming around, people wanted to cast it as something different. And it was funny as I would have these conversations about permission and everything else, you, you slowly over time saw people realize the permission marketing concepts apply to social media. You now saw the same thing apply to mobile messaging, SMS push messaging. Right. You now see it applying in apps. Permission is implicit in an app because I have to download it. Mm-hmm. But the thing you have to solve for as a brand is probably less than 2 to 5% of people walking through a door of your store are going to have your app, even if it's a super well-publicized you know, app. Right, right. And so you have to find other means of engagement. They have to be external. And no one solution or channel is going to capture 100% of your potential audience. So you have to have a multifaceted cross, um, cross-channel kind of approach. And that's where this will get, you know, there will be some complexity to this. Um, But, you know, our DNA is really about location. We come back in everything that we do product-wise to leveraging location in ways that are meaningful, again, to both brand and consumer. And that's why we're pretty excited because if you then think even further into the future, and frankly, we're there, right? I mean, uh, Tesla just... Uh, a month and a half ago, um, downloaded, literally downloaded to all of their drivers the newest uh, upgrade uh, to their their automobiles, which gave them autopilot. And Google's been working on self-driving cars for six years. You jump into a future where people are in self-driving vehicles and their hands are off the wheel and they are thinking more about their surroundings and their location. It opens up a whole new world to marketers, both in terms of time, additional time to consume media and interact, but also to go places that they've not been before. So if I think about, you know, when I travel overseas, London and England, one of my favorite places to go. However, I haven't gone off into the hinterlands because I 
I just haven't taken the time to really, you know, learn how to drive on the other side of the road. Right, right. That question is eliminated in the future. So now I can go out into the hinterland and I can find that great restaurant. And if it's a Google self-driving car, guess who's going to create that experience for me in the real world search of that self-driving car? It's going to be Google. They're going to monetize that. Well, even better, I can now go to a pub because I don't have to worry about driving home, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, and that's that's one of the great value propositions that you know Uber and Get and Lyft and others have as well. So, you know, we we're pretty excited about location because this is kind of the decade where people get out of their house with the internet. Yes. And yes. The rapid adoption of the smartphone has fueled that. Um, you're in, in the next five years worldwide. Um, there's, it's expected that you're going to see smartphone numbers double from about, uh, what is it around, uh, uh, 1.752 billion to 4 billion. Um, and it, it really truly is the first universal technology platform. Uh, because if you think about the desktop cost size, you know, requirement of a landline, all of that kept the majority of the world from getting it. If you think about laptops, same kind of deal. Um, they were more prevalent, but you still had cost. You still had connectivity issues. Right, right. The smartphone and, and wireless and Wi-Fi, that has changed. And the power of that mobile device, we're really just in the early, early innings. We are. Um, we are. Understanding what we can do both as consumer and marketer. So it is, I think, imperative that we be you know, dedicating some budget to experimentation but in a way, again, that is highly respectful of the consumer and delivering value at every turn. Well, Jeff, I have learned a great deal through this conversation. We're actually out of time. And you're right. I feel like we're in the first inning of this mobile location world. And my head is spinning with different ideas about what marketers can do. And I'm glad you're in the middle of that. So thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you. Appreciate the time. And I uh, hope everybody enjoyed the conversation. Look forward to hearing uh, hearing more from your podcast. All right. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's been a pleasure, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Bye-bye. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes and tell your friends about us. You can also go to our website, crimsonmarketing.com, and sign up for our free monthly newsletter featuring the very best of our marketing insights, featured Moneyball for Marketing podcasts, and one of our favorite features called Bad Marketing. Or email me at info at crimsonmarketing.com. Thanks for listening to Moneyball for Marketing from Crimson Marketing. Have a great week and let us know if we can help you in any way.